This is Tea on the Hudson, a news and lifestyle podcast where we're spilling all of the Hudson County tea and more. My name is Jen Trapuka. I'm the founder of HobokenGirl.com and a Hudson County resident. On this show, we share news, lifestyle topics of interest, interviews, and have guest Hoboken Girl contributors on to delve into the things that matter to local residents. Coming up this episode, we have a special guest, Tommy Molta of the Hoboken Fire Department and Hoboken Volunteer Ambulance Corps. Today, we're drinking lime hibiscus iced tea, which is totally refreshing, cool, and it really makes me never want fall to arrive. And that's saying a lot. Check them out on Jersey Avenue in Jersey City. They also have great juices and free Wi-Fi. And now, let's get started with our news. This week's news is sponsored by The Shepherd and the Knucklehead, which is a bar in Hoboken, uptown at 1313 Willow Avenue, across from the Trader Joe's, that has good food, occasional live music, and football TV screens galore. Mention Tea on the Hudson and get a $5 glass of wine or a $6 cocktail. So make sure you head there, 1313 Willow Avenue, mention Tea on the Hudson, and get a $5 glass of wine or a $6 cocktail. Hoboken is officially making moves to acquire Union Dry Dock. On September 4th at the City Council meeting, the City Council voted unanimously to authorize Mayor Bala the use of eminent domain to acquire the property under the intention of transforming the Union Dry Dock into a public park. Mayor Bala is now entering the process of negotiations with New York Waterway to agree upon potential acquisition price for Union Dry Dock. Now, in the event that the administration and the New York Waterway are unable to come to terms, the city can purchase the property through the use of eminent domain for $13.1 million. If, of course, New Jersey Transit does not acquire the property first. The Ladies of Jane Dew are hosting Jane Apalooza on September 14th in Jersey City. On Saturday the 14th from 11 to 2, the fitness studio crew will be throwing a block party on the Grove Street Pavilion. And yes, it's family friendly. There will be food, drinks, outdoor fitness classes, a live DJ, and giveaways. They'll also have an empowerment pool, which sounds pretty crazy. They're going to be pulling a monster truck down Newark Avenue. Pretty awesome. The fall Hoboken and Jersey City street fairs are upon us. Jersey City's annual All About Downtown Street Fair is back on September 21st, and it's hosting over 325 unique and local vendors that will be all over the streets from the Grove Street Path Plaza all the way to Cole Street. Hoboken's Art and Music Festival is happening on September 29th from 11 to 6 on Washington Street all the way to Observer Highway. There will be over 200 local and regional artists, crafters, photographers, and tons more. Fiori's is in the news once again. It was featured on Food Insider in a video that basically replayed the point that Hoboken is obsessed with this roast beef sandwich, obviously talking about the Thursdays and Saturdays roast beef and mutt special. If you haven't had it, you need to try it. And now for some openings and closings. The bar Local in Jersey City is officially open as of this week. The owners shared that they have transformed the space, which was the former tap house in Jersey City, into a brand new bar that will welcome all. One of the concepts behind Local, which is the German word for local, with a K, 
is to bring on board as many New Jersey sourced ingredients as possible. Even the cocktail menu will feature local beers and spirits. Their executive chef is Walter Donatio, a Michelin star kitchen trained chef who has worked everywhere from Nobu to Le Cirque and is a graduate of the Culinary Institute. Can't wait to check that out. For the last two summers, Lokito was a taco pop-up shop within O'Bagel. Since they have opened a brick-and-mortar at 217 Washington Street, which we reported about a few weeks ago, they are now expanding hours to late nights from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. And yes, that does include delivery. Bum Pilates Studio has officially moved from downtown Hoboken to uptown Hoboken inside of 1422 Grand Street, Suite 5A. Now, if you haven't heard of Bum, it's a contemporary boutique Pilates studio owned by Kate Kolobus. She is awesome, and you should definitely give her a shout in her new location. The Hoboken Vets Animal Clinic is nearing completion at Maxwell Place and is about to open in Hoboken. The date is just dependent on when they get clearance from the city, so stay tuned for that. 80 River Bar and Kitchen is open in the site of the former Cadillac Cantina spot in Hoboken. It opened this past week in downtown Hoboken and will start serving food this week. The owners are telling us that it will have a porta pizza vibe, focusing on the nightlife, but the new partners are also in the food business and will be bringing Johnny Napkin Fair, which is Italian food and pizza from down the shore, to the area as well. Automat Kitchen is opening in the Newport Mall, bringing some interesting options for food when you're shopping and a little hangry. Automat is what a restaurant would look like if most restaurants were essentially invented today. According to its website, they have cutting-edge food service technology, meeting local fresh ingredients to deliver on-demand, made-to-order meals from a chef-designed menu. And they have a delivery system that makes ordering, pickup, and eating pretty convenient any time of day, aka while shopping. If you've been in Hudson County for the last few years, you're lucky enough to enjoy the stunning views of the Freedom Tower from the waterfront. But many local residents who have been here for 20 years or more remember the past views of the beautiful Twin Towers, as well as the horrific tragedy that unfolded right before their eyes, directly across the Hudson River on September 11, 2001. One such resident is a retired captain of the Hoboken Fire Department and current chief officer at the Hoboken Volunteer Ambulance Corps. His name is Tommy Molta. He was a first responder and literally one of the first at the scene of the Hoboken train station when victims of 9-11 came across the Hudson to safety on that tragic day. He's here with us today for a special September 11th segment and is going to share his story a first-hand account of the day that forever changed our lives as Americans. Here, he's sharing his story of compassion, courage, and fearlessness, and how amazing our community was in bringing people together in a time of need. Thanks so much for being here, Tommy. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about you. How long have you lived in Hoboken? I'm all my life. I'm 56 years old. I'm born and raised. I only lived in uh, three different addresses my whole life in Hoboken. Oh, it's wow. all been on the same block on what Clinton block? Street. Clinton Street? Clinton Street, straight up and down. That's great. 
Now, you've been in public service a very long time. Tell yes. me about your career. At 17 years old, I joined the Hoboken Volunteer Ramble Corps, and uh, that was in 1980. And then in 1985, um, I was appointed to as a firefighter, Hoboken Fire Department. Uh, in 2003, I was promoted to the rank of captain. I did 25 years of service with the fire department. And October the 2nd of this year, I start my 39th year with the Hoboken Volunteer Ambulance Corps. Wow, it's amazing. And tell me a little bit about what you do at the Hoboken Volunteer Ambulance Corps and the fire department. You know, what, what are the things that you're responsible for? So with the Ambulance Corps, I'm the president of the organization. Mm -hmm. So I handle uh, all the administrative side of it, but also the day-to-day -day operation. Uh, it's a uh, it's the last all volunteer ambulance corps in Hudson County. Mm -hmm. We have about 200 members. We provide the emergency medical services for the city. Uh, you know, anytime you call an ambulance, we do whatever we have to do to get you expediently to the hospital and in good shape. Uh, in regard to the fire department, I was uh, originally assigned to an engine company, and then uh, when they put the rescue company in service, because of my uh, past history with the ambulance. I was automatically assigned to the rescue. I finished my career there 14 years in the rescue company, ultimately being the captain there. That's incredible. So let's talk about September 11th. Everyone, I think, in the country, in the world potentially, remembers where they were on that day. Where were you the morning of September 11th, 2001? So um, I was already the president of the ambulance corps at that time, and I was also the deputy coordinator of the Office of Emergency Management for the city. Mm -hmm. The coordinator's name at the time was uh, Jimmy Fitzsimmons, who is a, I believe at the time he was a lieutenant with the police department. Mm -hmm. I had a meeting with him that morning, and uh, I tried to get there a little early. I figured I'd sit down and have a cup of coffee type yeah. of thing. So I got there around uh, 8.30, and I was walking into police headquarters. It's about a quarter to nine now, and uh, the building that is Wiley now was under construction at 111 River Street. And as I was walking up the steps to go into police headquarters, I heard a loud bang. And it almost sounded like a roll-off dumpster coming off of a truck too fast. Mm -hmm. Kind of didn't think anything about it. Walked in. Yeah. So we get to the desk, and I said, uh, I got a meeting with Jimmy Fitz at 9 o'clock. And they looked, and they said, forget it. He'll be here by 9.30. Sit down. <laughs> <laughs> and right behind the desk is the radio room. And uh, we heard one of the police officers scream, and uh, he used an expletive, and he says, uh, a blank plane just hit the World Trade Center. And nobody knew what to say. It was like, what did he just say? Mm -hmm. So then they, he says, everybody calm down. He asked the cop that was on the scene, what's going on? He says, a large plane just crashed into the World Trade Center. And everybody started running out of police headquarters, and as we went to go across First Street, we could see all the construction workers from this building staring. And they were waving at us. So we, we got down to First and River and could just see the black column of smoke. At this point, you think it's a tragic accident. So, you know, but because of our proximity to New York and the first World Trade Center bombing in 1993, we treated 150 pe 167 people in Hoboken. I knew we were gonna receive casualties one way or the other. So uh, I says, tell Jimmy I'm not going to make the meeting. And I jumped back in the chief's car from the ambulance and went to the train station. And it was pandemonium. You know, people just in because you could see the buildings from the train station. And people were just like awestruck, staring. And, uh, I mean, we have very, such a view. 
Right. The view was spectacular. Yeah. You know, you they was they were awestruck. There were people crying. There was people hysterical already. Like they you just didn't know what was going on. And again, you know, you're thinking, oh my God, how did a plane hit that building? And you you know, the initial reports, a lot of the news services, the initial reports were they thought it was a small plane. And people that were there, eyewitnesses, were saying, no, it was a commercial airline. It was a jet. So um, So then the the first plane hit and then and then the second plane hit. Well what happened was one of the cap, uh, one of the previous captains of the ambulance corps lived a block away. Mm-hmm. He lived on Hudson, on uh, Washington Street. He came right over, and uh, he was my right hand guy that day. So I says, "All right, listen, we're going to start setting up a triage area." We interacted with the police department. We needed vehicles moved, and we were going to start bringing ambulances in. Never expecting it to escalate. Right. You figured, okay, this is we'll, we'll handle this, and then it will be okay. So, about ten minutes went by, and we heard a roar, and it was the second plane. And you could see him coming in. And uh, we used expletives. Yeah, and sure. uh, it, it was, we saw it hit. And it was just a, a, a large fireball and that same sound from the first one. At this point now, it was like, okay, it's not an accident. Yeah, what we're, was... under, we're under attack. And, you know, with the exception of Pearl Harbor, we've never been attacked on our home soil. Right. So... It was like, what's going to happen next? We're under attack. We have no information here. But now we knew we got to ramp this up to expect a significant amount of casualties. Right. While all this was going on, out of the PATH train station came two women who were burned, significantly burned. And our first ambulance had already been on the scene. And uh, apparently they were in the lobby of the building when the planes hit. How they got back on a path train, we don't know to this day. Did Were the path trains shut down at this point? They had uh, The rail lines used a thing called condition black. When they go to condition black, everything shuts down. Mm-hmm. So it must have been the last train coming back, and they sent it to Hoboken. And when they came up, I mean, they were both burnt so badly, and they were holding each other up. So the, the girl who was on the ambulance, her name was Sylvia, she turned around and she says, Tommy, what do I do? I said, put them in the ambulance and take them to the hospital. Take them to St. Barnabas, go right to the burn center. So they went to the burn center, and then we knew we were going to have a significant situation on our hands. So in that moment, <clears throat> I think everything changed, and you really realized that this was this was way bigger than just a plane crash. And tell me then what, what you did. So the initial response was uh, to set up triage, to set up an area where we could um, render aid to anybody who came over. Right. But now that that kind of changed because now there's a security issue involved. We're under attack. We don't know what's going on. Uh, there was reports of a third plane. We didn't know, right? So um, people started coming over on ferries. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people were uh, sent over on ferry boats. Uh, but the basic, the, the basic idea was to render care. So we um, used a system that we have at the time under the New Jersey State First Aid Council. We called in and said, we have a, um, they, they knew what was going on. They knew that there was a plane crash, and right. now they knew the second plane that hit the tower. And we said, based on previous incident in 1993 bombing, we can expect a lot of people here. Right. But it wasn't only Hoboken. So our local mutual aid, Jersey City, Weehawken, right. Union City, well, Jersey, uh, Jersey City's got Liberty State Park, right. and Weehawken has the um, Lincoln Harbor Marina where ferry boats come in. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't use our local mutual aid because they had they their, needed own. their own. They needed their own. They had to be there for their own. Because there were just so many people coming over. So for the first 
approximately the first 30 minutes to 40 minutes, we were kind of on our own. Um, our members mobilized, and we put all three of our ambulances up there. And uh, we have some special operations equipment that we were able to set up a small triage area underneath the uh, bus terminal. Mm-hmm. And you were treating people? We were already treating people that had come off the ferry. Um, all different kinds of injuries, broken bones, lacerations. Were but they in the towers or around? Both, in and around. Some of the, the, uh, one gentleman had a, a really, really significant laceration across the whole front of his face. Mm. And he had gotten hit with flying debris. But uh, so then the, the cavalry, so to speak, all of the mutual aid providers from outside of this local area, a lot of paid services started coming in. And one of the first ones on the scene was a university hospital from Newark. They brought a lot of equipment. And to help. Right. And then the hospital actually sent doctors and nurses. Same, at the time, it was St. Mary's Hospital. Right. And uh, they sent doctors and nurses. And uh, we had a pretty significant triage area. Yeah. How many people did you treat? So, and a lot of people needed, there's physical injury. And then there was emotional and mental injury. Mm-hmm. And those people are just as important as the people who had physical injury. Of course. So, um, and they all had the telltale dust, you know, so you knew that they were near it. So the Hoboken Fire Department set up an area to decontaminate them as they came in to like, get the stuff off them. Right. And then if they were injured, they came to us. If they weren't injured, they were sent to a, another area where they were out of our way, so to speak. And uh, over the course of the day, we treated over 2,000 people. It was 2,122 was the number in we came up with. just Hoboken alone. Just the Hoboken so uh, triage area. Jersey City and Weehawken probably had their own numbers. Their own numbers. Yeah. Wow. Each ferry that came over was had about five 600 people on it. Oh, my gosh, because they were all just trying to get... Trying to get out. Wow. And my, my wife, ironically enough, worked in the city at the time. And, uh, you know, I may be selfish or whatever, but she was one of the first phone calls I made. I said, you need to get the hell out of here. Yeah, no, that's... That, that's so, natural, uh, natural but, uh, response. You know, and one of the things we teach our first responders, our EMTs and, and even in the fire service, yeah. you can't be productive yourself if you know your family may be in danger. Correct. So there's always that, like, back thought, where's my wife? My wife okay? I knew my daughter was okay because she was in school. Right. You know, nothing was happening at Collaborative School at the time. But uh, that yes. played in the back of my mind the whole day until I knew my wife was home and my daughter, my father went and my God versus Saul, my father went and got my daughter out of school, mm-hmm. and I knew she was accounted for and okay. Right. So uh, it, it changed your thinking pattern, so 100%. to speak. And I, I can imagine, too, the technology was so different at the time, so yes. you really didn't know as well as you might now. Cell phone service was sporadic at best because one of the main towers was on top of that building. Oh, my gosh. So they had lost service right from the initial hits, and then when the buildings came down, that was a whole separate issue. Yeah. But uh Twenty one hundred and twenty two people came through Hoboken, whether it's just hold my hand and you know, listen, you're okay now. You're on this mm-hmm. side of the river, you're a mile and a half away, you're gonna be okay. A lot of their concerns, a lot of the people's concerns was my partner, the people I work with. Um, you know, there was so many different things going through these people's minds. And uh, then you had people with physical injury. So um, hundred and seventy nine people were transported to the hospitals and we actually sent them outside of this area. They went to um, Clara Moss uh, mm-hmm. in Belleville, and we sent them um, all the way out to, uh, I can't think of the name of now, Chilton. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were going way out. So it was regional. Them. It really affected. Yeah. I mean, we were just so affected in the Northeast. I mean, of course, the whole country, but physically affected right here. It was It's yes. just like it, it is the epicenter of where everything happened. Um, now, I know, th- I remember we talked before, and you said the downtown bar area 
became a location after uh, September 11th, you know, for operations. Right. Tell me a little bit about so that. On that, on that morning, mm-hmm. when, when, it, when everything started to happen initially, uh, Texas, Arizona, which is the bar right on the corner there at mm-hmm. Hudson Place and River Street, uh, they were very uh, accommodating, mm-hmm. but um, they really didn't have a choice. <laughs> we kind of told them this is going to be our command center. Yeah. And they were like, come on in. Oh, I mean, they, they, they welcomed us with open arms. And they they were giving us food and, and, oh, and they took care. We made phone we made a phone call from in there. We need water, and within an hour, a Poland Spring truck pulled up. But we thought they were going to drop like a pallet of water. They emptied the truck for us. Oh my gosh, that's um, amazing! So really, community came uh, together. Tell me some of the businesses that you CVS. Know, they mm. emptied their shelves of any kind of first aid and medical supplies they had, and actually pushed shopping carriages to the triage area. Said, "You guys need if you can use this, take it." Wow. Um, People, even not only bars and restaurants, I, there's so many. I, I wouldn't start naming them because I couldn't name them all. Mm-hmm. But everybody, the, the, the outpouring of support and the outpouring of community. It just really. No, I, I get choked up. It's, it's so emotional. Just John Q. Citizen coming with, they baked cupcakes. Mm-hmm. It's like, you guys are going to be here a while. You need to eat. It's it's incredible. It was the power of kindness was just so abundant. I wish it could be like that every day. I know. People forget, and that's something that shouldn't be forgotten. No. Yeah, and it just seems like the outpouring of support was just what brought everyone hope and the feeling that we could go on. It was. Uh, I lost two very close friends. Mm-hmm. One was a Port Authority. Well, they were both Port Authority police officers and paramedics. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we didn't know they were over there at the time. And, but uh, the, the, the community, and it, was, it wasn't that day. It was for days after. Mm-hmm. We were at her building the one night, and uh, a gentleman pulled up, and he said, I got something for you. And he emptied his car out of trays of food for the members. And they were in front of the firehouses. There were memorials and... Um, you know, it was just, and it was genuine. It wasn't because, right. you know, this is, okay, we're, you know, we got to do something. It came from their heart, which made so much difference. It did, and it just shows how deeply it affects everyone to this day. I mean, mm-hmm. and I I think, you know, we've talked about how children now don't, they weren't alive in school. They're, I think the high school children now weren't alive during. It's history to them. Yeah, it it's so incredible. And so that's why I was so excited to have you on just to really talk about this because I feel like it we want to memorialize it and hear the story and yeah. and really know that people understand what really happened that day. It touched everybody. Mm-hmm. Whether you had somebody in the towers or you you everybody knew somebody from this from this area. Everybody knew somebody who was either missing or already confirmed dead. And uh, there was actually a funny story. It was mm-hmm. the light side. <laughs> and um, my brothers in the FDNY um, pray for you every day. Mm-hmm. They lost 343 of their guys. I know. But uh, all of this is pandemonium's breaking out all around you, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy, Eddie, that was next to me, Eddie White, he goes, Tommy, look. So we look over. And it's where you come up out of the path, right? Mm -hmm. It's three New York City firemen. 
how the hell did they get here? <laughs> right? So they were blinded because they had the dust in their eyes. And they ultimately made it to the subway track somehow. Wow. In New York. And they just so we ran over to them to help them. And the one the one firefighter, I believe he was a captain or a lieutenant, grabs Eddie White's arm and he says, Brother, what station are we at? And Eddie looks at him and he goes, You're in Hoboken. And the one guy in the back says, Damn, Cap, I told you I knew we were walking to Jersey. <laughs> So it was almost like a lighter side, but yeah. the only thing in their mind, and they were busted up. Yeah, they were um, bleeding and they couldn't see. And as soon as we we brought them over to the triage area trying to clean them up, and the only thing they kept saying was, "You got to get us back over there. You got to get us back over there. You got to get us back over there." So what we did was we put them in one of our vehicles and was. We tried to get them through the Holland Tunnel, mm -hmm. but the tunnel was closed. They wouldn't. The military was there. They wouldn't let anybody through the tunnel. <laughs> so we wound up bringing them to Liberty State Park, and one of the ferries that dropped people off, they got on that ferry and went back to the city. Wow. And we um, never heard of them again. Wow. You know, we don't know what ever mm -hmm. came of those guys. But uh, oh, I'll never bravery. forget these three guys coming up out of the train station. <laughs> and it was like we needed that. You yeah. Know, you needed that. But I, your heart breaks for them because 343, their brothers died. It's incredible. And the bravery is just so immense. I, I just, it's mind boggling. I'm, I'm speechless really. And I mean, I, how, how do you feel like we can honor the people that lost their lives that day? Well, in, in Hoboken, um, they did a f tremendous job on PRA for the, um, memorial. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's phenomenally gorgeous. I mean, it's, a, it's a shame what it represents, but it is beautiful. No matter how you look at it, it's beautiful. And uh, I think the biggest thing is education. We need to let people, the mantra was never forget. Mm -hmm. And when you lived it, you're obviously never going to forget it. But unfortunately, like you said a couple of minutes ago, there's kids now that were born after this that are coming into their later teenage years. Um, it's history to them. So yeah. it's just like we were with Pearl Harbor. It happened. We know it happened. It's part of history. We didn't live it. My father was a World War II vet. Mm -hmm. He was a kid, you know, he was 17 years old during Pearl Harbor. So mm -hmm. for Remembers. him, until the day he died, he knew about Pearl. He remembered and talked about Pearl mm -hmm. Harbor. And I guess that's what's going to happen. It's going to die with us. Yeah. But hopefully with education and to get the message and people such as yourself, I, I thank you for having me here to of get the story out because this is something that everybody needs to know. They need to know the emotional impact on um, the community mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, there's, there's people that are still sick and dying. Um, our brothers and sisters in the fire service, the police department, EMS, uh, these guys have, uh, even construction workers that worked on that pile for months and months and months, they're, they're dying from cancers and, um, all these different things. And I don't want to get political with it or anything, but, you know, to even have a second thought about signing that bill for healthcare for those people is, mm -hmm. you know, I they, know. They need that health care. They risked their lives. Even though the emergency was over, they were digging. The construction workers moving bulldozers and cranes and the guys digging the pile. You know, when you were over on that pile, you didn't know. You could have fell through a hole and went down 10 floors. I know. Uh, the amount of courage, bravery, and persistence was, uh, it's mind-boggling. It really and is. And people need to know about that, you know. I know. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story and really opening all of our eyes to what it was like that day. 
Um, and before we go, just tell me what can people do now to help the Hoboken Volunteer Ambulance Corps or other first responder type units in our area? So one thing I just want to share is uh, you talk about how it affects kids, right? My, yeah. my daughter, who now is uh, Brittany Malta, who is uh, 22, going to be 23, mm-hmm. she's about four years old at the time. And, uh, you know, we had been working around the clock for stretches, three, four, five-day stretches, and yeah. it went out around two weeks. So I took a day. I needed some downtime with my family. So my wife, Erin, uh, myself, we took her to PRA, and Brittany used to love to throw rocks in the river. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing I'll never forget is uh, we got up to the pier, and she was throwing the rocks in the river, and I kept staring over there, you know. And uh, an innocent four-year-old looks you in the eye and says, Daddy, what happened to the buildings? It's like, how do you answer a four-year-old, you know? So I, I turned around and I said, the bad men took them down. And for her at four years old, it was like, okay, I'll keep throwing rocks in the river, you know. But uh, I was crying like a baby. I had to turn my back to her because, you know, and, and these are the things, these are the, the real things that kids need to know. Yeah. Not kids, but um, this age group, the 20-somethings, they need to know that. You need to hear the story. In regard to the ambulance corps, um, one of the key things we need is uh, finance. Mm-hmm. Um we're trying to purchase new ambulances. Uh, we're trying to the training requirements are um, going up and up, and we need money to be able to pay for members' training. Um, the other big thing is equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, new programs are coming out all the time, and a lot of the stuff that you need to implement these programs costs a lot of money. And uh, I mean, something as simple as um, epinephrine, right. which is uh, the drug used to reverse an allergic reaction. We have to factor $6,000 a year into our budget because epinephrine only has a short lifespan. So we don't use it a lot, but we got to make sure it's there in case somebody ever does need it. So that was $6,000 a year. It's been added to our budget that we have no way to recount for. So that means that we can't buy $6,000 or something else. Right. And it's and it's pretty incredible. And I want everyone to know that the Hoboken Volunteer Ambulance Corps is a 100% volunteer-based organization. They're volunteers working 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, helping our community in Hoboken especially. And they require, you know, help from the community as far as uh, finances go. Donations are helpful. If you want to volunteer, if you want to learn even CPR, they offer that. I mean, there's so much that you guys offer. And so I really want everyone, I'm going to do a little sharing about it afterwards in our nonprofit segment, but I really want everyone to uh, take some time and get familiar with the Hoboken Volunteer Ambulance Corps because what you guys do is unparalleled for the community and free of charge. And people are welcome to stop by a building anytime. Yeah, you're at where? 707 Clinton Street. Another another building at Clinton Street. <laughs> My whole <laughs> life's on Clinton Street. You're at Clinton Street for life. Well, thanks again, Tommy, for coming in. It was so great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. It was great to be here. This week's Hudson Hero and the nonprofit all-volunteer organization you should definitely consider donating to is the Hoboken Volunteer Ambulance Corps. Now, this is the primary 911 EMS provider in Hoboken and the only full-time all-volunteer ambulance provider in Hudson County. The Corps responds to nearly 5,000 calls yearly for service in Hoboken and as needed in neighboring areas. 
They consist of all volunteers and are available to our community 24-7, free of charge. That means anytime you call 911 and an ambulance comes, that's a Hoboken Volunteer Ambulance Corps ambulance, it is free. Your ambulance ride to the hospital is free. This year, they're looking to add some new medical supplies and another ambulance to their fleet. To help them do this, please visit hobokenems.org to donate. I want to thank Tommy Molta for sharing his story. This episode is dedicated to the heroes of 9-11. 